Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. again the cream of the crop we have what it takes to win it i'm as motivated if not more motivated than ever to find success keselowski is gonna win at talladega i'm gonna be in the championship hunt there's no question kyle bush is gonna win in the granite state kyle bush wins at Dover. For 70 years, Martinsville Speedway has been a NASCAR tradition, home to the paint-swapping racing that made the sport famous and racing that has led to priceless memories. Can anybody imagine what's going on inside his head? He has an opportunity to go to victory lane, perhaps for the last time. This is what we're looking forward to. Let's make it count. This win's going to punch his ticket to the championship four. Jeff Gordon celebrating as much as we've ever seen. This is the sweetest, most amazing feeling. This has turned into a fairy tale year. There's been 93 wins for Jeff Gordon, none sweeter than this one. And soon we will know what this weekend at Martinsville will bring. Eight drivers still in contention for the championship. Four former champions, two young stars, a Virginia native back on his home turf, and the hottest driver in the sport. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Kara Lamano, Parker Kligerman with you. We also have the mayor, Jeff Burton, along as well. To start the show, a few stats on Burton, Ooh, okay? okay? Grew up about an hour east of Martinsville. He won at Martinsville in both the Cup and the Xfinity Series. You know this, right, Jeff? He raced in the Cup Series 39 times at Martinsville, and five of those races he led 100 laps and did not win. You really did your homework. <laughs> We've been doing our homework on Jeff. So who better to tell us about why this track is so challenging? Did I just remind you, Jeff, of some of the things that you've accomplished at Martinsville? Yeah, I, I or, or actually, I think you reminded me of the things I didn't accomplish <laughs> at Martinsville, more importantly. <laughs> it's two more wins exactly than I have at Martinsville, Jeff. There you, you go. That's the easy way to remember but it. But, Jeff, you know exactly what these drivers are up against this weekend. Yeah, uh, Carolyn, this racetrack is, is I think, uh, the most difficult racetrack. I think Talladega and Martinsville, the two tracks in the playoffs that are the most difficult. Uh, Martinsville, because it's so close quarters, uh, the t corners are tight. The, 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 you know, the braking zones happen very quickly. The closing rate's big. Uh, anything happens, you know, 10 rows in front, it all just ends up, you know, just like, a, just like a wreck on the interstate. They wreck four cars in front, and you end up getting into it. Uh, sidewalls, the tires get cut. 
it is just, it is a very, very difficult race. There's nothing easy about Martinsville. Pitt Road's difficult. So I think that, I, I, you know, I, I say Talladega uh, just because, you, you know, a lot of what happens there is out of your control. But when I look at the Cup Series in general, I don't know of a racetrack that is any more difficult than Martinsville. And the first round of the playoffs, being on this racetrack, uh, these guys have a tremendous challenge ahead of them. I agree with all that he said. <laughs> but I'll add one thing. I think it's kind of, one other thing is it's very physically challenging for the drivers as well. This is a racetrack where you're hitting that brake many times, very hard, over a thousand times, obviously, if you do all 500 laps. So it's just one of those places that not only is it mentally demanding because of how close the racing is and how rough and tumble it can be, but it's also physically demanding, which is not, it's very rare at times in the Cup Series. All right, much more on Martinsville ahead. We're going to spend the majority of the show talking about it, but let's start with the race to Miami, where the championship will be decided 24 days from now, a two-day organizational test session wrapped up at Homestead Miami Speedway today. Five of the playoff drivers took part in the session, including Jimmy Johnson, who won at Miami last year to claim his seventh Cup Series title. Other playoff drivers testing Ryan Blaney, Brad Kozlowski, Denny Hamlin, and championship leader Martin Truex Jr. I just trying to learn as much as we can for um, when we come back here in a few weeks. You know, it's uh, it's a very unique racetrack, very different. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just this is a true oval. You know, uh, most of all the other mile and a half are tri ovals. They have the curved front straightaway, and you know, believe it or not, that really drastically changes the racetrack, the way you drive, the way you set the car up. Drivers really like the surface here. You can move from the bottom, middle, top. And, uh, when we come to the test here, you kind of mess with those lanes and figure out when and uh, you can run them with how many laps in their tires. So uh, I, I personally like coming here. It's a shame we only come here once a year. I'd like to come here a couple times, but uh, I couldn't think of a better track to end the season on. Um, we do so much simulation at home and have a variety of different machines that, that need current track data. Um, current data from these tires, you know, the latest, greatest ideas and setup. We, we only get maybe five um, opportunities to do that a year as a team. So any and all opportunities to go on the track with the data uh, just helps us learn and kind of, um, you know, get our machines at home that drive the technology for the race cars uh, up to speed. How much is actually gained from this type of testing at Miami? Well, you heard what Jimmy Johnson was talking about there, which is gathering that data for the simulation, which is big. And then there's little things, obviously. It depends on the test and what you're doing and the situation as a race team. You know, you have some times where it's a younger driver who's trying to actually learn the track and it's invaluable seat time. That man right there in the 48 car doesn't need to learn that track. He knows how to get around there. He knows how to win, but he knows also the feel he's looking for within that race car to make it as good as it has been when he's won there before. And that's one thing that you do at a test. You don't necessarily look at lap times. You don't look at speed. You look at things like feel and trying to understand exactly the data that's coming out of the race car so that you can make educated decisions once you come there for the race weekend and make them in advance, not have to make them after practice or during practice and that sort of thing. So uh, just a little key little update from that test. Reached out to some people down there, and it sounds like this might be a shocker but the 78 car was fast. <laughs> Jeff, does that surprise you at all? I'm shocked. I can't believe the 78 <laughs> would be fast on a mile and a half type race. No track. way. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, I, I think what's a little different about this test, Parker, is that, you know, you have guys down there that you know one of the people that's down there is, is going to be in a championship hunt. And this, this test is a little bit unique because, you know, you have a test in April. Uh, you're, you're more testing setups. You're more testing... 
uh, different principles and ideas, but it's very difficult for this test, the last race of the year, to not be just specifically about that racetrack because when you go back, there's so much on the line. If you're testing in May or June, you're thinking big picture. You're thinking about, you know, how can we make our program better at all kinds of racetracks? But here, I think for the guys that believe they're going to be in the championship battle, I think they are looking at lap time, uh, unlike a normal test. And with what you just said and what I heard as well, is that Martin Truex Jr. and his team, they were very fast. So now teams know, okay, they're fast. And, and what have they learned that they can apply when they come back to match that speed or better that speed? Uh, the other thing I heard that above the playoff teams that were there, I heard the 21 car Ryan Blaney was the one that was not necessarily struggling, but wasn't as good as the other cars. So, you know, that's valuable information for that team to be able to look and say, hey, we've got to be better. We've got to find some speed then go back and take all that data and come back with something different that can make them uh, go a little bit quicker. And Jeff, I think we should just add on to that, that, you know, one thing about testing at Homestead Miami in particular and why some teams feel like it's an advantage. Some teams like Martin Tricks, you've heard him say he doesn't like to test there. I actually know the uh, four team of Kevin Harvick and Ron Schiller say they don't really learn much when they test there. And the reason is it's one of those racetracks that changes a lot from having rubber laid down on it. So the, the information you're gaining right now might not necessarily translate to when the race weekend is there and you have the truck series, the Xfinity series and the cup series all putting rubber down on that racetrack. And I can tell you from talking to some people down there, they said just in the day they were there today, it changed the racetrack throughout the day. And by the end of the day, some of the tire wear they were seeing was completely different. So that's why there's different opinions and what you can gain from a test. But Jeff said it. They do have some of their playoff contenders down there. So there's no doubt as racers, you're going to be watching what they're doing. And if they're faster than you, you're going to think, how do we go that fast? I want to go that fast. <laughs> well, Kyle Busch wasn't down there. Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, they did not participate in the test, but we are going to have more on all the playoff drivers still to come as we talk about Martinsville. We're also going to revisit yesterday's big news. Darrell Wallace Jr. set to drive the 43 car at Richard Petty Motorsports next season. We'll be back with more right after this. Two of the Premier League's top teams square off at Old Trafford as Manchester United hosts Harry Kane and Tottenham. That's Saturday morning at 7.30 Eastern right here on NBCSN. Let's take a look at one of the Cup season's top moments from the season now, brought to you by Coca-Cola. Bubba Wallace completes a climb up the racing lap with his first Cup start. Now he's about to enter the sport's highest level. My job is to go out here and just run the best I can. No need to be a superhero. The King has told me that. I uh, just go out here and do the best that I can. Have some fun out there, Bubba. Appreciate you helping out. Green, green, green. Come on. Bubba Wallace has so much to bring to this sport. I'm just thankful for the opportunity. I've been dreaming about this since uh, I was a little kid. That was back in June when Bubba Wallace was a substitute driver, but yesterday at the Hall of Fame, Richard Petty Motorsports announcing he will drive the 43 full-time next season in the Monster Energy Cup Series. This is an incredible opportunity, a very humbling experience for me. Just, um, you know, this is not, not my first time around Richard, but I'm his guy now. I'm his guy, you know, starting in uh, here in a couple months. When we had him to come in and, and sub for Eric, we were very, very impressed. Really, really proud. Uh, it's great to see the king and you know Bubba, <laughs> yeah. you know hooking up. I yeah. think it's awesome. He's got the right coach there. The diversity part of this mm -hmm. is great for our sport. We love it. I'm trying to lead the, the the legacy that Wendell Scott laid for you know the diversity role for us and and to to be able to do that and to try to carry it in the best way that I can. There's a lot online for that. So important. 
to have a minority racing at, at the top level so that you know young men and women have somebody to look up to and I think that's so important and this is tremendous opportunity I'm a huge fan of Bubba Wallace that his ability to drive a race car is there he just needs that right opportunity and I appreciate Richard Petty Motorsports giving him that chance and that opportunity he's got an outgoing personality and he does a pretty good job in the car so it takes a whole combination to, to make make a successful deal and uh, we just feel like he's got pretty good deals on all of it if we manage every race basically how i manage those four races i had driving the 43 then our season's going to go really smooth but it's a lot easier said than done right so you just heard Bubba Wallace mention Wendell Scott. He's going to be, Bubba will be the first top full-time African-American driver in the Cup Series since Hall of Famer Wendell Scott back in 1971, just in case that name wasn't familiar. You know Bubba Wallace very well. He's very deserving of this opportunity. How significant do you think this signing is for the sport? Oh, I think it's massive. I think it's definitely, you know, what the sport needs. It's definitely something that is, you know, good for the future of the sport and getting uh, different minority groups interested in the sport of NASCAR. But I also just want to say that, you know, one thing about this is that Bubba earned this ride on talent, on uh, on performance. He really went out there and did a great job in his opportunity in those couple races in the 43 car, ending with his best finish at Kentucky of 11th. And remember, even though, even in the Xfinity Series this year, when his team got shut down, he was in the top five in points and doing a great job there. He won in that one-off in the truck series. So, this is a driver that knows how to win, that deserves to be in the Cup Series, and now he's getting that opportunity. And I just love what's happening here. I think it's great that he's jumping in iconic number 43 car. It's just such a cool moment overall for the sport. And I think, as he said, hopefully he can have a smooth year, but uh, it's definitely going to be tougher than, than he can imagine in that sense. So we're going to see Bubba at Daytona next year. Let's get back to this year's championship, though. Uh, four races left this weekend, shortest track on the Cup Series schedule. So let's throw up the playoff leaderboard if we can. Here is where everybody is. Jeff, want to start the conversation with the drivers that you and Parker think should be showing the most urgency on Sunday. And we'll start with Jimmy Johnson, nine-time winner at Martinsville. These tracks, Jeff, in this round favor him so much historically why should he be the one sweating well I, I think simply because really you know he won he won last year at martinsville but prior to that you know really only two top 10 finishes in the last six races at martinsville so the magic of jimmy johnson at martinsville we haven't seen it uh we 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 almost expect it we almost say hey we know jimmy johnson's gonna go to martinsville and run well because of his previous success there but other people have stepped their game up. Other people have gotten better, much the way uh, when you think about Kevin Harvick in Phoenix. But th at the last couple races at Phoenix, Kevin Harvick has not had those dominant race cars. So, you know, nine career wins at Martinsville, uh, six of those in the playoffs. How can you question that? Uh, he, you know, laps led, you know, almost 2,900 laps led, uh, average finish of seven and a half. I'd say that, that's pretty good. <laughs> and he is going to be a threat. But the concern I have with Jimmy and his team is that I don't think they can rely on Texas. I think they need to go to Martinsville, and they need to go to Phoenix, and they need to have very, very good runs. Now, it's Shaq and Alice and Jimmy Johnson. That tells me they can do it, but they're going to have to be better than they've been in the recent past in Martinsville. I know he got the win, but, but the, all the races around that were not very good. Jeff, I think it's even a little bit more big picture than that in the sense that this 48 team, if they go to Martinsville and cannot find the performance that they've been looking for throughout the playoffs – then I wonder, as you said, at Texas and Phoenix, there's even a chance. I think this team, when you look at how they performed at Kansas, that was an abysmal race. There was a lot of mistakes made all around in that sense. They didn't have the speed. And I think that this race team as a whole, 
is going to a place that they've been so successful that they know the driver, Jimmy Johnson, is one of the best of all time at this racetrack. That team knows what to do at Martinsville. If they can't get the performance there, what makes them think that they can compete for a championship if they were to get into Miami? I know last year they were in a similar situation. They pulled the rabbit out of the hat, and they're a very clutch race team that can sometimes make things happen. But I just feel like they got to go to Martinsville and have that run that even shows that they can compete at the front because they haven't shown that in the playoffs so far. You just heard Jeff say that Phoenix has been very good to Kevin Harvick, yet both of you feel like he is a driver that will need to get something done at Martinsville as well. Do you share Jeff's sentiment that, that this urgency is necessary with the way that this team is performing? I do, and I think the race team feels the same way. Speaking of Rodney Childers, his uh, Kevin Harvick's crew chief this past weekend, he told me that he was a little bit worried about Martinsville, that Martinsville was one that they felt like they needed to focus on. They needed to have a good run because they weren't entirely comfortable about their performances at Martinsville and felt like it's a place that, you know, they can feel like they can, you know, almost get a good finish no matter what. So they looked at this one as being a racetrack where they really need to have a solid day because, remember, he's been so good at Phoenix, but in recent years, especially this year, has not been as good. And so Rodney Children was saying that even Martinsville is kind of a barometer if they can turn things around for Phoenix as well. So I think they're definitely looking at trying to have a solid run at Martinsville. They feel very confident about their mile-and-a-half program at Texas, but these two short tracks are sort of a question mark for them. All right, let's move on to Brad Keselowski, the 2012 champion. He won two weeks ago at Talladega to propel him into the round of eight. He enters the round third, right behind Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch. Here's what Brad Kay and his crew chief, Paul Wolf said after they won Talladega when they were asked specifically whether Martinsville is a must-win for them. Absolutely. I think as a, I've told my team that, you know, we've, we've looked at it. you, you got to be realistic about where you're at right now, uh, where our cars are at speed-wise, what our strengths and weaknesses are, and you got to do your best to capitalize when, when you can. And absolutely, I look at Martinsville as, a, you know, we need to go there and win, and if we can do that, we'll race for a championship. Do you feel that Martinsville is a must-win situation, and if you can win there, do you feel like you've almost kind of stolen a spot in – the championship round yeah martinsville at, at this moment as it stands i would say is a must win for us and, and we know that going in uh we tested there and you know we feel like that's a type of track that we have a lot of strength for so um at this point yes but you know that, that could change so we'll, we'll, you hate to say it's, it's still three weeks away right <laughs> jeff it's not three weeks away anymore you still feel that this is a must win do you agree with with brad and his crew chief well, I think the reason why is much much like Parker talked about Jimmy Johnson and the success or lack of success they've had on a mile and a half. So I, I, if you look at Keselowski, I think it's the same thing. I don't think that they look down the road and feel good about the other races coming up. And Martinsville, they led over 100 laps in the spring, won that race. Uh, I think this is a race that they feel like, you know, for them, I mean, everybody knows this, if you win this race, you're moving on to, the, to, to Homestead, Miami. But for this team, uh, I think that they feel the same way, you know, with nine points above the cut line. I don't think that they feel like they have enough points with the way they run to protect. So they're going to need either a great finish or a win. Now, anything can happen. We've seen it. Uh, you know, uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I think that mentality of needing to feeling like you've got to go there and win, I think that's the right mentality for this team. Uh, but I think they can do it. I, their past success tells me they can do it. And their flat track program seems to be really good, so it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Brad and his team win on Sunday. Parker, all, all week on NASCAR America, you have praised the job that Ryan Blaney was able to do at Kansas with that team, that they impressed you. You you and Jeff feel that he belongs in this group that needs to show a sense of urgency. Why? 
Well, I think for Ryan Blaney and his 21 team, Martinsville is going to be one of the biggest tests of this round for them because simply he just hasn't had the results at Martinsville. Now, that's in the Cup Series. I did do some digging and looked at his Truck Series stats, and he has three top fives at Martinsville. So we know Ryan knows how to get around Martinsville. He just hasn't gotten the results yet at Martinsville in the Cup Series, and that's key. But I think for this race team, you know, this is it. They, they know they have the speed after Kansas for the mile and a half. They look at Texas, and I feel like they're very confident in Texas. He was very fast at Texas. So if they have a solid day, a momentum-building day at Martinsville, that can really set them up going well into Texas and could surprise a lot of people by going on to be a championship of the championship four in Miami. And I think that's definitely why they that Martinsville is a little bit of a pressure-packed situation for them just because – they just need that solid day. They don't need to give anything up. I'll add in one other thing. They have one thing against them, which is that they obviously had their time taken away from qualifying at Kansas, and therefore that's how they pick the pits for Martinsville, and therefore they're not going to have they're going to have one of the last picks. So that's going to maybe just add a little bit tough one one level tougher for them at Martinsville, or something that could allow them to have a problem in the pits. Therefore, so they they have a bit of an uphill climb here, but I definitely think if they can have a solid day, that can set them up for a track that they're going to be really good at. Such a huge story last week, that whole qualifying process and the scheduling with the pit selection. And we'll get into that a little bit further as well when we talk about Martinsville and the challenges that the track itself presents. We're also going to reveal a finalist for this year's Comcast Community Champion Award, which recognizes the charitable efforts from those in the NASCAR community. We're going to bring you that one next. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Duluth Trading, tough, ingenious workwear designed and tested by tradesmen. Welcome back, everybody. NASCAR does great work in the community, and here is one of the most recent examples. Two years ago, the Comcast Community Champion of the Year Award was created to recognize charitable efforts in the NASCAR industry, and the award highlights the stories of philanthropic work in the NASCAR community and also supports those efforts through both public recognition, which helps, and also donations provided by Comcast to the affiliated charities of the top three finalists. So here they are for this year, Jimmy Johnson, he and his wife, Chandra, lead the Jimmy Johnson Foundation, which focuses on providing grants for public education. Brad Kozlowski, his checkered flag foundation, honors, supports, and helps the recovery of military veterans through various efforts around the country. And also the Chip Ganassi Racing Pit Crew Department, which works with local charities in the Charlotte region and takes part in events to help benefit the community as well. And under the leadership of coaches Sean Pete and Mike Metcalf, the pit crew at Chip Ganassi Racing is really striving to leave a lasting and positive impact for those in need. We are the Chip Ganassi Racing pit crew department. We implemented like our, our, our give back program or volunteer program uh, four years ago when we first arrived here. Some people in upper management came in approached us and said, hey, we'd like you guys to come take over our, our pit crew department. Sean and I talked about it one day and said, hey, what's the real opportunity here? You know, maybe we could do it differently. You know, maybe we can do it where there's an attitude of, of gratitude in what we do and where we appreciate each other instead of complaining. For us, it's like a selection process. One, two, three, dominate! We want guys that are compassionate and have, you know, that fill the voids of the things we're missing. You know what I mean? Like kindness, it, it, you know, simple things like kindness. We need more of that. He came from hockey, I came from football, and it's really just about as long as you can help me on the field, perfect, otherwise we'll get somebody else. We said, well, what if we, what if we do it a little bit differently there and said, hey, what if we just try to, 
to see if we can get guys to be better fathers and husbands. And volunteering was a big part of that. And so that's kind of what we decided to do. We have our friends from Chip Ganassi Racing with us today. We're so glad you guys are here today. This is incredible. How many guys do you have with you? Uh, it's about 20, 25. Yeah. We've got four crews of six. They're getting to be regulars around here. I know our men, they always ask if it's a football team here, but nope, it's a racing team. They have cleaned out old dormitories. They've done a lot of tough work. They installed a new floor in our gym. They're just incredibly hardworking guys. It started fairly small. It started with uh, Meals on Wheels. Um, when Columbia flooded, we took all the guys down there with pickup trucks and chainsaws and helped kind of clean up. So we, we look for really unique places and try to look for needs. And one of them was coincidentally related to a sponsor that had a need for, for toys for Christmas. At the Ronald McDonald House, um, we really wanted to have the families wake up on Christmas morning and have bikes. We have 28 families here at any time. And the Ganassi team showed up one day uh, with more than 28 bikes of every shape and size, every color. We walked in there with probably like 50 bicycles last year and filled up their, their toy storeroom. You could hear it all across the house, the screams, the cries, the yells, the laughter. Um, it was amazing. The Ganassi team has incredibly done that for us. We chose Ron McDonald House because we believed in the mission. You know, that is an awful time for families, you know what I mean? And if we could lighten that burden just an ounce, um, it was worth it. We've just gone there to just hang out with the families that are there. Sometimes the best thing that you can do to a person is just sit with them and mourn with them. You know, I think Sean and Mike really do believe in making an impact with us after our racing careers are over. You know, I feel like some of the lessons that I've learned from them, I'll carry over to my son one day. And it's all life's about really just big and making a light, long lasting impact. At the end of the day, we're pitting race cars. And uh, you know, we're not solving world peace or curing cancer. And we just, we wanted our guys to go home with two things and that's perspective and purpose. I can, I can ask for any better coaches like, uh, they, they show us you know, how, to, how to do our pit crew stuff as well as, as how to be man. Everybody has a little bit different background, but whenever we come together and do something great, man, it's a big difference. They'll get people to write money, but they, they don't get people to do the dirty work. And so I feel like as a pit crew, that's kind of what we are sometimes, right? There's a place called Victory Junction that we go to, and they have this week where it's called NAS Carnival, and they try to get different pit crews to come, but we don't go on that week because that's a week where there's a lot of fanfare and there's you know balloons and smoke and all that kind of stuff. We go on a week where it's quiet, where it's just us and the kids, and we can just play and hang out and have a good time. The impact goes both ways. The impact on the people we're helping, but the impact on our guys as well. When they see a child light up, because you know, you're handing them a bicycle or, you know, or you're knocking on someone's door, you know, giving them their meal for the week or whatever, um, you know, it's a powerful moment. And it touches them and it touches our guys as well. And I think both sides come away from it for the better. We could only bring you one story today of the three finalists, and Jimmy Johnson and Brad Kozlowski do phenomenal work through their foundations as well. But this one to me is really resonating, Jeff, because Jimmy Johnson and Brad Kozlowski also have a very large platform, you know, and to see what Chip Ganassi Racing's pit crew is doing, I'm not sure I would have seen that otherwise if we weren't able to bring a little bit of awareness to, like they said, the dirty work that they're doing when they really don't have to. We hear, oh, we lost, we lost him. him. Oh, let me, oh, well, let me pose the same thing to you yeah. because I, 
I just, I was watching that and getting so excited because I thought to myself, I may never know the work that Chip Ganassi is doing in this way without this award. No, no doubt. That was an incredible piece there. And what an incredible program we have to bring light to the to people that are doing this sort of thing within the NASCAR community. Because as you said, you know, the drivers, they do get a lot of the fanfare and they have a lot of people, a lot of eyes on them and they are doing great charitable things. But it, it's more than just the drivers that make up the NASCAR community and what they're doing to go out there and help their community in need. And this is just a great message overall from this pit crew, not only for what they're doing and the time they're donating, but the message around it of kindness and spreading love and, and happiness and that sort of thing and being grateful for the fact that they get to go to racetracks each and every weekend. What a cool job in itself. And then to give back because they're so grateful for what they get to do. Yeah, they are used to hard work. I'm sure Jeff would echo your exact sentiments. We'll no check on that and figure out what's going on with him. But while we are honoring worthy candidates from Chip Ganassi Racing, let's go ahead and reveal this week's nominees for the Pit Crew All-Stars. And we are going to start with Telvin McClurkin. He is the front tire carrier for Trevor Bain and Xfinity playoff driver Ryan Reed over at Roush Fenway. McClurkin showed his toughness a few weeks ago in Charlotte. Look at this. He got his foot caught under Reed's car Incredible. as he left the pits. You saw this, right? Not only did he get away, he continued to just go back to work. I actually interviewed him after this, and it was like nothing happened. So yeah. he's an incredible <laughs> tough man. There. Just shows you how tough they are. Okay, uh, up next, TJ Ma Ma Majors. <laughs> I can't speak today. This We're done spotter, with names. This spotter for Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Hendrick Motorsports. Majors and Earnhardt first met in 1997 while competing against each other on iRacing, in fact. And he's also raced street stocks and late models for Junior Motorsports as well. And then last but not least, we have Nick Hensley. He is the gas man for Brad Kozlowski at Team Penske. He graduated from college with a degree in cellular and molecular biology. But instead of going to med school, he decided to pursue his dream of NASCAR. And eventually he joined Penske in 2007. So once again, drumroll please, if I can do it, our nominees <laughs> this week, Telvin McClurkin, TJ Majors, and Nick Hensley. And next month, we're going to reveal the 2017 Pit Crew All-Star Team during Championship Weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. So there you go. Coming up, more on the round of eight drivers. Denny Hamlin has impressed at Martinsville. We're going to tell you why Chase Elliott might also surprise some people on Sunday as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sunday marking the start of the round of eight at Martinsville. The seven-time champ, Jimmy Johnson, among the drivers battling for the championship in his quest for a record eighth title. So Sunday, 3 Eastern, right here on NBCSN. That's where you need to be. Also in the mix, Denny Hamlin, a five-time winner at Martinsville that returns to his home state of Virginia this weekend. Before getting to NASCAR, Hamlin made his name on Virginia's short track scene, racing at places like South Boston and Langley and another track close to his hometown, Southside Speedway, where Denny cut his teeth, is today's my home track. This one-third mile oval sits 20 minutes from Richmond, Virginia. It was founded in 1959, and the track hosted a handful of Cup Series races in the 1960s. Today, it hosts local racing across six different divisions. And as a kid, Denny Hamlin was inspired by Roy Hendrick's Flying 11 that dominated the field at Southside. We saw his paint scheme earlier this year, and he would later compete there in several divisions, starting out in mini stocks at age 16 before moving on to brand stocks and late models. We love looking at these My Home Tracks. You can always send us your photos and your videos. You just use that hashtag. Send us to them on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. But while we're talking about Denny Hamlin and where he comes from, let's continue with where he may be going. Can he make it to Miami is the question. And Jeff, how important is Martinsville for the 11? 
I think it's important, but I don't think it's do or die by any means. Like Denny Hamlin has five wins at Bartonsville. We saw that, but 30th or worse in two of the last three there, that's my concern. And, and, and you can have bad finishes. Things happen on short tracks. Uh, this, they did not run as well in April as you would expect them to run at Martinsville. Uh, we saw him make a mistake uh, at Martinsville the year before. He got it wheel hopping and ended up getting into the wall. But, you know, I think Denny Hamlin, I picked Denny Hamlin and, and his team to go to Miami Homestead because I think they've been getting better as the year is going on. And this is a racetrack that, that Denny knows what he needs. And I think that they clearly understand their formula. They don't, they don't have to win Martinsville. If they continue the consistency that they've had, they're going to Miami Homestead. I think this is a race where he obviously can win, but more importantly, having a good, solid, strong day. That, that's all they really need, in my opinion. No doubt, Jeff. I have to agree with you because I think that's exactly the plan for this race team. You know, if they can just have a solid day there, they know they've got the mile and a half pace. They're in a Toyota, so going to Texas, they got to feel really confident going there. And then he's been good at the short track, so he'll most likely be fine at Phoenix. So I think this is a race team that, you know, in the position they're in, they are able to find a way to point themselves to Miami, and therefore it's not a do-or-die situation. Would Denny Hamlin love to win at Martinsville? Yes. Obviously, he's been so successful there. He loves that racetrack. But I think if they go out there and they have, as Jeff said, a solid day, then that's just as good a day as you could have for the 11. So we've got three drivers left in the playoffs that we haven't touched on today. And the 18 of Kyle Busch, maybe the reason why, is because this is a team that has been in the conversation at the upper echelon of the playoff leaderboard for quite some time, Jeff, despite a really tough round this past round. Here they find themselves at Martinsville and in good position. Well, they do, but I think that this team is probably as aware of, as any team about the pitfalls of the playoff. Right. And, and they, they did a good job last weekend, moved themselves into the next round. But, you know, I, I said at the beginning of the show, Martinsville to me is the toughest racetrack. And I think uh, for this team with the point advantage that they have, it's all about not having a bad day. Uh, they ran very well there in the spring, had a good chance to win that race. Uh, and I think a good solid day, much like Denny Hamlin, they'll be happy with, with the results. And I think if you're going to win at Martinsville, you're probably going to have to pass Kyle Busch, just like Brad Keselowski did in the spring race, because he has been incredible there. And they had a recent Goodyear test where he was the, considered to be probably the fastest car there. So I think things bode well for the 18 at Martinsville. Yeah, let's go to the 78 next. We have just talked about the 78 over and over and over again. Out of all the drivers, Parker, you would think that maybe the sense of urgency is the least, although we are resetting the round here. And, I mean, here's the thing. You can look at all the stats you want about Martin Truex Jr., but they seemingly are being erased week after week as he drives a 78 car in the last two or three years. So I think right now, you know, he has not had the best results at Martinsville. I don't think they're worried. He's been faster since getting the 78 car. I think this is definitely not a do-or-die situation. This is definitely a team that could point themselves to Miami, and then we know how good they've been on the mile and a half. So when you look at Texas looming right after Martinsville, everyone is most likely thinking the car they're going to have to beat at Texas is the 78 car of Martin Jukes Jr. How about Chase Elliott? Uh, that's the last driver, Jeff, that we're going to discuss. Where do you see the 24 as it relates to Martinsville? The team has said some things and also done some things that maybe have not necessarily matched up. Yeah, so so I think they have the uh, the, the sale of low expectation theory. I, you know, they <laughs> all I've heard from this team was their test was no good. They're not good at Martinsville. And they had me convinced of that, and I went back and watched the spring race in Martinsville, and everything told me that they're, they're not telling me the truth because <laughs> Chase Elliott ran very well. Uh, he qualified very well, finished third, uh, qualified second, I believe, uh, 
ran exceptionally well. Uh, so I, you know, I think that they're trying to lower expectations uh, going to Martinsville, but for what reason, I don't know. Uh, because, you know, Chase Elliott made a huge step in how you run Martinsville in the spring. And I see no reason why that won't happen uh, again in, in this fall race. This team and Chase Elliott, they're better right now than they were when they ran Martinsville the last time. I know I can't say that they're better at Martinsville because we haven't been there yet. But when I look at that team, when I look at Chase Elliott as a driver, there's no question they're better. They're, they're more, they, they, and Chase Elliott in the playoffs has stepped up. So uh, they're trying to convince us, Parker, that they're not going to be very good, but I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. I don't, I don't get it either. Every time I've talked to Chase or Alan Gustin, they've told me the same story. We're not good at Martinsville. We're worried about Martinsville. The test didn't go well, but he has results there. And I think this race team has been incredible in the playoffs. They've just done a great job. They've executed a championship level. They've brought more speed than their teammates and especially more speed than the seven-time champ of Jimmy Johnson. I think that they look at this race maybe with some trepidation because it's Martinsville and they just don't have a lot of confidence. But when you look at Texas, the Mount of Hasper, they've been so good in the playoffs coming. I think that looms really well for them. And then Phoenix, I think they don't have many worries in the Phoenix. I think this is a team that if it's if they're able to get in the championship four at Miami, they can be a real contender because of the speed they've shown since they entered the playoffs. Maybe they're hanging out with Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss. They always yes. say things and do things differently. Um, the mental game. Well, listen, if you've, if you've listened to Jeff Burton on the show at all or maybe spent a couple minutes with him, you know that Martinsville is relentless. He's made that clear, and he's got the experience to prove it. So how do the drivers face all of the challenges that it throws their way? Parker's going to explain from the simulator you leaving now? I'm going to see you later. <laughs> okay. I'm going over there. All right, get a head start. Uh, when we come back, we'll put Parker in the sim. Welcome back, everybody. Formula One is on NBC and racing. Head south of the border. Lewis Hamilton looking to wrap up a fourth world championship in the Mexico Grand Prix. That's Sunday at 3 Eastern over on NBC. For more on that, here is our F1 reporter, Will Buxton. Thanks, Carolyn. Yes, the Formula One World Championship arrives here at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City for round 18 of 20. And a total sellout crowd of 300,000 people will be excitedly and expectantly turning up here to see Lewis Hamilton crowned a four-time Formula One World Champion. The math for him to do so is actually incredibly simple. He only needs to finish this race fifth or higher but as you would expect from Lewis Hamilton, he's only looking at a win come Sunday. For me, I want to win. I want to win it the right way, as I've said from the beginning. So even I, I thought the other day, you know, if I came here, I have no desire to finish fifth and win the world championship while someone else stands on the top of the set. I want to, you know, they always say you're as, only as good as your last race. So every single race, I want to continue to show what I'm capable of and, and the goal the dream would be to be standing on the top step this weekend, having won the championship. And uh, that would be a very much a proud moment because it's, um, yeah, that's, that's really as, as high as it gets. It's worth remembering that Lewis Hamilton hasn't always had the best car underneath him this season. That honour instead went to Ferrari and to Sebastian Vettel. But Hamilton finds himself on the verge of making history because he has put in one of the seasons of his Formula One career to overcome the deficiencies that he's faced with the equipment at his disposal. So good has he been this year that many Formula One world champions are already saying that when he wraps up this fourth world championship, for it is now a matter of when rather than if, 
he will truly find himself among the all-time greats. Well, thank you. I'm curious to see if he can do that with a win. And while I'm sure Parker would love to take us around the road course in Mexico City, we have him back at Martinsville in our NBCSN iRacing Simulator. Parker. Right, Carol. There's just a lot less corners here, so it's easier for me to remember in Martinsville. But uh, we're coming to a restart here, and I'm on the outside lane because this is a place and a position that some playoff driver will find themselves in, and they won't want to be because this is a tough place to be at Martinsville. When you're stuck in the outside trying to get to that bottom dominant lane, you're just waiting and hoping for your spotter to say clear. And Jeff, this is a tough spot because you just can't let yourself get frustrated. No, you really can't, Parker. And you know, and you also have to you know, when that hole presents itself, you just got to drive into it. You got to hope the guy behind you checks up. And you know, really, all you can do is turn left and get slowed down, and hope the guys behind you don't run over you. But when that hole presents itself, you got to jump in it. Exactly. And one thing about this place, why it's physically demanding and it's really rough and tumble, is because you go from this straightaway to slamming on the brakes. You're going to do that over a thousand times in the race. If you complete the 500 laps and you're also going to then let the car roll and you're so always touching cars and connect to the cars around cars and it just makes it such a tough race and jeff one thing i was wondering about is you've won here before what do you do about these racetracks and in, in taking care of those rear tires and making the car good on the long run well that's what's so difficult about martinsville is that you it's so easy to have well, i shouldn't say it's easy but you can have a a, a short run car that's no good at, at a long run and vice versa but you never know what kind of run you're going to get. So if you try to save your tires and not run hard, you give up spots on restarts. If you just push hard and go 100%, then you eat your tires up and you get killed on long runs. And, you know, that's just something you don't know because you don't know when the cautions are coming out. Exactly. And one thing to help those long runs, I don't know if you did this, but I've done this before, which is some of those wider lanes. Now I've got a car going to the inside of me. That's part of what becomes a problem. If you try to open that entry to get a better run off and protect those rear tires, then you open yourself to be getting past, to having a car stick their nose in there. And I think that's sometimes what we see some of that contact happen is when a driver's trying to adjust their lane for the long run, but another driver sees that as an opportunity to strike. Yeah, the other issue in opening your lane up, you know, staying out longer, arcing the corner, is that's a little bit harder as far as wheel hop. It's much easier when you make that big arc and you turn in later, it's easier to get the wheels hopping. So, kind of safer, kind of turn left and go to the curb, but, you know, cars get loose to get in a corner. Uh, there's other issues in Martinsville that opening up that entry helps. And when you open that entry up again, when that guy drives underneath you, now you're saying a chance of him running up into your left side tires and cutting a left side tire. That is not unusual to have the sidewall cut from another car running into you. Exactly. That's, that's what you don't want to have happen is someone driving that left rear and one thing is you try to make a pass, you try to outbreak a driver, you might get a little bit where you outbreak yourself. And so as we come down here on the front stretch, Carolyn, one thing you definitely don't want to do is get a little bit of that wheel hop or something, make a mistake. And we haven't done this in a while. Find yourself in the wall. <laughs> oh, no, not again. Parker, thank you. We are not done with Martinsville yet. Plenty more to discuss, like why pit selection is so important and what it means for qualifying to take place on the very same day as the race. We'll discuss those topics when we come back. his ticket into the final eight for the championship run. Racing at Martinsville um, in the playoffs is kind of nuts. When I look at Martinsville and I try to sum up in one word, I think it's opportunity. 
Kozlowski is going to win at Talladega. It's our opportunity to win at the Homestead. We are excited about the weekend. Look how busy it is. Our Martinsville coverage starting Saturday morning with Cup Series practice at 1130 Eastern on the app. And then that sets up a very busy Sunday. Cup qualifying at noon, followed by NASCAR America, and then the opening race in the round of eight. You can find all of those things right here on NBCSN. So pit selections determined last week at Kansas. Much discussion about that. We know that pit road is very narrow at Martinsville. Jeff, how big of a story do you think this is all going to be this weekend? It's going to matter a great deal. Uh, where you pit at, at Martinsville, it's a very, very difficult pit road. It's very tight. Uh, Martin 2X with that first box, that is a huge advantage. Uh, we see issues on pit road, so I think that it is a, it is a story. And, and it would not surprise me to see uh, what we saw right there, cars slowing down and stopping, trying to get on the inside line or restart. So pit road will play a factor in this race on Sunday. No doubt, Jeff. And I think the other thing is that you mentioned how tough it is. It's tight. It's congested. You have uh, pit boxes that are on the corner where it's very hard to see around the corner inside these race cars, especially with all the, the containment around the head. So I think all those things add up. You have these, these traffic jams that happen at the end of pit road at Martinsville. Drivers trying to get in that inside lane and count cars a little bit. You see Denny Hamlin trying to do there with Matt Kenseth. So that adds to the congestion a little bit. And I think one thing to note is that, you know, for the 21 team of Ryan Blaney, it's not that this is a huge mountain to climb, but it's just a hindrance that they may pick very late and they're not, therefore not get a great pit stall. So 5 o'clock traffic on pit road by NASCAR standards. What <laughs> about, Jeff, this um, qualifying race day, same day thing? Is there something that fans should be watching and paying attention to as it relates to this? I, well, I just think it's awesome. I, mean, I, I think it's fun for the people going to the racetrack that, that they can go and they can watch qualifying and then turn right around and watch the race. And remember, you know, we do TV, but it's important for the people at the racetrack to go and have a good time. And uh, I think it's awesome. And I think one thing, one thing I find funny, Parker, is that everybody's all of a sudden said that qualifying last week, setting the pit position for this week, that's not right, shouldn't do that. Been doing an Xfinity in trucks for a year, and nobody's complained about it. Now all of a sudden, it's an issue. Yeah, and we've been qualifying and racing on the same day in trucks and Xfinity for years now. So I think it's just for the teams to get used to. It's almost here. It is almost here. Thanks for watching NASCAR America. We're out of time for today. But you can always log on to abcsports.com slash NASCAR to get the very latest on what's going on for the weekend. We are back tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern, so be with us then. We'll see you there. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.